Amen. Y'all can be seated. Hey, would y'all give it up for our worship team? Super, super thankful for them for leading us week in and week out. If you uh, have your Bibles, um, I want you to turn to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. We're going to be jumping into a new sermon series tonight. Um, and that new sermon series is titled Beyond Belief. Beyond Belief. Now, I'm not going to be doing magic tricks or anything like that. That's not what that means. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what Beyond Belief is. So um, around last semester, I started to really like, I don't know if wrestle with is the right word, but just like, I don't know, something, something bothered me. Um, something, something kind of became a burden of mine. Um, I started to notice that there was this trend with, with college students, not necessarily you know, everyone in here by any means, but just, you know, I spend a lot of time with college students, and so I feel like I pick up on different trends, and I, I notice that there's this trend when it comes to lots of college students and their relationship with the Lord, that their relationship with the Lord, uh, it pretty much looks like, yeah, I believe in God. I, I might even believe that God sent Jesus to die for my sin, to pay the punishment that I deserve, uh, and I'm trusting him for salvation, but my faith does not go beyond believing in God. Like, it stops there. And, and that is so counter what God's word says. Like, a, a genuine relationship with Jesus should go beyond simply believing in God. Uh, there is so much that God has for us beyond that first initial step of believing in Him. And so we're going to spend these next three weeks really talking about what does it look like to live a faith that goes beyond simply believing in God. Like there, there are new depths that I think the Lord wants to take you to in your relationship with Him that would blow you away. I, I truly believe that. Like God wants to give you abundant life now. A, lo a lot of people think that, yeah, if I believe in, in God, then one day I'll, you know, I'll get abundant life, eternal life with him in heaven. But no, like the Lord wants to do a work in your life now. And that takes living a, a faith, having a relationship with him that goes past simply believing in him. All right, so uh, what we're going to do is over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to look at some different people uh, in Scripture. People that really take this beyond belief uh, thing seriously. Like they live a faith that goes beyond simply believing in God. It changes the way that they live. And tonight, we're going to look at a guy by the name of David. A guy by the name of David. And tonight, what we're going to be talking about when we're talking about having a faith that goes beyond simply believing in God, we're going to talk tonight about this truth. That people who have a faith that goes beyond belief... They are hungry for the things of God. Hungry for the things of God. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to what has like been taking place in colleges around the nation. Y'all been seeing a little bit of this? Yeah, you can respond to me. It's okay. Yeah? Like, it's really cool, right? Um, you know, you have the Asbury College um, that kind of started this movement of college students that, you know, are experiencing revival in their schools and on their campuses, and it's really, really incredible to see. Here's the common denominator in all of, in all of these different things, uh, all of these different uh, movements of God that we're seeing. Each and every one of them started with a group of people who said, Lord, we are hungry for you. Like, we want to see you move. 
We're not just content with like standing on the sidelines in our faith, but like, God, we earnestly seek you. That's how those things begin. Now, I'm not lobbying that we like don't leave here for seven days because they would just call the cops on us because they don't like when we stay past our, our time. But, but I am saying that like I genuinely believe that on all of our campuses, the Lord would do something incredible if this group of students would start by like hungering after God and his word and everything that he has for us. So we're going to talk tonight about how David was hungry for the things of God. You should already be in Psalm 63. Let me give you a little bit of context. Um, so the backdrop of Psalm chapter 63 uh, is really found in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 15 through 19. So you don't have to turn there. I'll just kind of tell you what's going on in, in that time frame. So uh, what's going on at this point in 2 Samuel is this, is this is David reigning as the king of the people of God. This is past David and Goliath. This is like, you know, past David fleeing from Saul. It's past all those things. This is David reigning as a king. Well, David runs into a problem. And this problem, believe it or not, was his son. He had a son by the name of Absalom. Absalom. So uh, Absalom was pretty close to his father. However, at some point, Absalom decided that his father was not doing a good enough job ruling over the people of God. So he leads an insurrection against his own father. He, he like literally raises up this rival kingdom and drives his father uh, out of the palace. David is in this psalm that we're going to read. He's fleeing for his life. This is literally written in the wilderness. It's written in the wilderness. David is on the run from his own son. And the way that that story would continue to go is that ultimately David and Absalom would go to war. Absalom will be killed by one of David's officials and David would like lament the death of his son uh, for a, a long period of time. It was a very dark, desolate time in David's life. So David writes this psalm that we're about to read in the middle of the wilderness when he's on the run from his own son. Um, and, and so as he's on the run, as he's in the wilderness, at some point, uh, we don't know really when it is, but at some point when, he, when he's in the wilderness, he stops to journal, to write some things down, some, some thoughts down, some things that are going on in his heart. And you would think that he would be, you know, pulling out pen and paper and writing down like SOS, so like I need help, you know, send someone to come and find me and save me. Or you think like, you know, David's like top 10 wilderness tick, our tips or something like that, you know, like it would be some sort of cry for help, you know, that is not at all what it is in Psalm 63. It's really interesting. Uh, so let's read together in verse one and see what David writes. Psalm 63 verse one says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So let's stop there. You can see from that first verse that in this moment, David is in the wilderness and he is hungry for the things of God. He says, God, I, I earnestly seek you. And he's hungry for the things of God. But what does that really mean? Like, like tonight, we're going to talk about some things that you'll find if you hunger after God, but we got to talk about what it looks like to hunger after God before we even get there. Like, what does it really mean to hunger after God? Well, I, I love the way that, that he starts. He says, God, you are my God. 
like, I think that's so significant because what I want y'all to realize is one of the first steps towards hungering for the things of God is understanding who God is in relationship to you. That God is not some like cosmic power that uh, simply keeps things in order and has nothing to do with the people down here. But God is a relational God that has uh, such a significant plan and purpose for each and every one of his kids. And he wants to be involved in our lives and in our hearts. And David knows that. That's why he says, God, you are my God. And then he, he says, after that, he says, earnestly, I seek you. Like, like he, he, goes, he goes on and he says, my flesh faints for you. My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. In other words, what David is saying here, he's saying, God, if I don't experience you, something about me is off. Like, like I need you. It goes beyond just like, God, I, I want to encounter you. Like there is this deep longing for God and that's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. We want to be hungry for the things of God. That's what it looks like to have a hunger for God. And that's, that's where we want to all get. And so tonight, what I want to do is, is I want to share with you three things that I truly believe you will find if you hunger after God. Three things that I think uh, through this psalm that, that you will see that is true in your life. Three things you will find if you hunger after the things of God. And here's the first one. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. You will find if you, if you make the decision to hunger after God, you will find that God is all you need. God is all you need. We read in those first few verses, right? Uh, that, that David is seeking after God, and we already said he's in the middle of the wilderness. That doesn't seem like the most normal reaction to somebody who's in the middle of the wilderness running for their life. That, that their first thing that they would write down is, God, I earnestly seek you. So why is it that David does? Like, why is it that that's where he starts? Well, you look at the context that he's in. He, he writes, he talks about how the land is dry and weary and there's no water. Literally what's going on here in, the, in, this, uh, in this passage, David has nothing. He's got no family. He's got no, no supplies to keep himself healthy. He's got no money. He's got no safety. Like David has absolutely nothing. And I think what's significant about that that we can take away is this. That when, when all you have is God, that's where David is at, right? All he has is God. When all you have is God, you will come to a place where you realize that all you need is God. And it's this beautiful thing that takes place here in this text. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there before in your personal life. But I'm telling you, it's such a sweet place to be. Where you come to the point that you realize that all you have is God, it's then when you, when you realize that God is all that you ultimately need. Like, it's this beautiful process of God stripping away the things that you hold dear, that you hold close, and showing, him, or showing you more of himself. I, I, this sounds silly, and I know some of you guys are, are going to experience this firsthand this summer. I got to this place like for the first time when I worked at a summer camp. You're like, now that sounds like a pretty cool job. How would you get to that place? Let me tell you, working at a summer camp, at least the one that I worked at uh, whenever I was in college, 
it is not easy. Like God will get you there very quickly. Because what happens is you get to this place where you literally have no strength left to give. The little ankle biters are there just going for the whole day, nonstop. They got 10 times more energy than you, than you have in your being, and there's 14 of them right? And so they're driving you crazy. They won't go to sleep. They're having, playing flashlight tag in the cabin, all this different stuff. And you very quickly get to the end of yourself. Late nights, early mornings. It's, it was in that moment for me that I got to this place where I realized that I had nothing to offer. I had nothing left to give. And in that moment, like in, in that season, I learned, man, God is all I need. Like, like, it is not up to me to try to be strong enough to accomplish this thing that he's called me to. He's called me to it, so he's given me everything that I need to accomplish it. And so all I do is rely on him, lean into him. And it was through that process that, that I learned that God was all that I need. It's an incredible, incredible place to be. But see, a lot of people think that they can wait to seek God until that time arises, they think that, well, life's pretty good right now. You know, like, things aren't going bad necessarily. So I'll just wait till the point that things start to go poorly. Like, I'll wait till I get to that time that, that I kind of don't have anything, and then I'll start to seek God. That's, that's how a lot of college students, to be honest with you, live their life. They're like, I'll manage it by myself until I can't. And then at that point, then, then I'll go and, and I'll pursue God, right? But that is not at all what David does here. See, David didn't discover that God was all that he needed when he was in the wilderness in this moment. Look in verse 2. David writes in verse 2, he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. In other words, what David is saying here, he's saying, I've worshipped you in the temple. Like, like I've made it a regular pattern of mine to seek after you, to hunger after you. I've, I've worshipped you in the temple. I've spent time with you. I've experienced firsthand how powerful and strong you are. So when things in my life get difficult, I don't have to set out on a journey to go and find God because I've already been walking with him step by step. You see how that works? Like, like in, this, in this moment when David is faced with the wilderness, danger, all these things surrounding him, it's not like, oh my goodness, now i got to figure this out. He's been in this process of hungering after God, seeking after God. So now he's in the place that when, when he has nothing left to give, he knows that God is all he needs. And, and I truly believe that if, if you would make the decision to hunger after God with, with everything that you have, you would find yourself in a, in a very similar place where you realize, man, it doesn't matter what circumstances I'm going through. God is all I need. Contained within him and within his word is everything that I need for life and godliness. Do y'all have savings accounts? Yeah. Some of y'all are like, I don't even have a checking account. <laughs> so savings accounts, right? Hopefully you're, you're building one up. Slowly but surely. So, so what is a savings account, right? It's this, it's this fund that you're putting money into slowly but surely over time, kind of like a, a reserve, not so that when you're, you know, wanting some Taco Bell at midnight, you can dip into that thing and, you know, get whatever you want, 
but so that when things, when things get difficult, you've got something to fall back on, right? That, that's what a savings account is. You're, you're slowly but surely making deposits so that one day when things get difficult, you can make a withdrawal. That's what it looks like to hunger after God. See, this, this life is going to take withdrawals. It is. Like, that's just, just how life works because we live in this world that's plagued by sin. And if you are not making deposits now, spending time with the Lord now, just like David in verse 2, right? If you're not making those deposits now, then one day you're going to realize that you don't have anything stored up to be, to be able to rely on. Like the best time to start a savings account is not when everything goes horribly wrong, right? It's now. I think one thing that we can learn from, from the life of David here is this, that time spent with God is never time wasted. Like if you guys will make the decision now to spend time with God, make those deposits now, when you find yourself in the wilderness, I think you'd be amazed at how the Lord walks through it with you. I don't want you to hear that and think, oh, well, we have to hunger after God to, you know, build up our deposits so that when things go wrong, you know, I have him to rely on. Listen, I'm not saying that we hunger after God because we want a better life. According to David, actually, we hunger after God not because we want a better life, but according to David, because God himself is better than life. He says that in verse 3, right? He says, he says because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Better than life. We don't hunger after God because we want a better life. We hunger after God because God himself is better than life. That word or that, that phrase, steadfast love, is actually a Hebrew word, uh, and I'm going to pronounce it to you the Hebrew way. Ready? Chesed. That was terrible. I don't have like saliva, I guess. It's like a, you got to hack it, okay? Uh, so it's, it's hesed. I'll say it the English way. Um, that, that word literally speaks of a loyal love of God. It's like a sacrificial, always with you kind of love. And David says, I have experienced that from you, God. I, I know that you are a God that you promise I will never leave or forsake you. I know this, and so I know that no matter my circumstances, no matter what the enemy might whisper in my ear, no matter what sin struggles I might face, I know that you will always be with me. And it's through David hungering after God that he realizes this, that God is all he needs. I truly believe tonight, if, if you would make the decision to hunger after God, to earnestly seek him, that you would discover that same exact thing. Let's look at the next thing. The second thing that you will find if you hunger after God is not only that God is all you need, but that God is all satisfying. God is all satisfying. Read with me in verse 4. David writes, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Let's stop. Let's stop right there. So here's what David's saying in those verses. David is telling God, he's saying, when I hunger after you, Lord, you satisfy me. You satisfy me to the point that I don't want to look anywhere else in order to be fulfilled. Like, it's, it's that kind of deep satisfaction. David's like, Lord, I have tasted and seen how good you are, and it has given me satisfaction that I can't find anywhere else. 
And I truly believe that this is what you will find when you hunger after God. I can't help, uh, I don't know if you picked up on this, I can't help but notice the parallels to the New Testament in this passage. David's talking about hungering and thirsting for God. And it reminds me of John chapter 4, when Jesus encounters a woman at, the, at a well. And this woman, he, he has this conversation with her, and at some point, she ends up offering him a drink from the well. You remember what Jesus says back to her? It says in John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, I am a living water that will satisfy you once and for all. I'm not a well like the rest of the world that you have to keep on going back to. Uh, Jesus is literally saying, I'm offering, you in e- I'm offering you eternal life in a world that offers nothing but temporary satisfaction. I, in a world that offers nothing but like momentary happiness, I'm offering you eternal joy, eternal fulfillment. That's what I have to offer. And I truly believe, y'all, if you hunger after the Lord, you will experience that here and now. See, the the problem is, though, I think that we would often rather settle for that well that we have to keep on going back to over and over again. Like we turn down the living water and rather we we would want to go to that place that in order to get satisfaction, we got to keep on going back and keep on going back and keep on going back. We'd rather have junk food over that fat and rich food that David talks about in verse 5. I think in our Christian culture, we have a lot of people that prefer the junk food. But then, like, for for whatever reason, to fool themselves, fool other people, they talk about the junk food like it's the four-course steak dinner, you know? I, I I don't know if you follow this, but, like, David is saying... The Lord wants to offer you something that has eternal satisfaction, and we settle for something so, so much less than that. And, and I think that what begins to happen is we, we go to that well that we have to keep on going back to and back to and back to, and we convince ourselves and other people that, like, no, we, I've tasted the satisfaction of Jesus, right? Like, you know, we're, we're the kind of people that... It's, it's like we would be content to go and sleep with our boyfriend or girlfriend and then show up at small group the next night and talk about how good God is. We're not actually experiencing him for ourselves. I think we're like, we're like travel agents selling tickets to places that we've never actually been. And what David says here is that God like, he would blow your mind if you knew how much he could satisfy your soul. But we settle for less. We're a slave to our appetites, right? There's this interesting story that I came across whenever I was studying for, uh, for, for tonight's talk. Um, it, it takes place in Australia in August of 1860. So there was this expedition uh, that, was, that was led by a man named Robert O'Hara Burke. Robert O'Hara Burke. He led an expedition of men to try to be the first people to cross the continent of Australia, going from the south to the north. All right, so they're, they're setting out to cross Australia, and um, 
these guys started off their journey pretty well. But about three months in, they started running low on supplies. And as they're running low on supplies, uh, they come across this native tribe that introduces them uh, to this, food, this, like, this plant that they can use as food. And the name of the plant, get ready. I'm sorry it sounds so funny. It's called Nardu. Nardu. The Australians just have a different way of doing things, huh? Um, so they come across this plant called Nardu. And what these, this, this tribe was doing is they were heating up this plant and they were putting it, you know, in soups and stews and things like that. And they were eating it for nourishment. Well, this tr- th- these guys that were set out on this expedition, they start to use this plant for themselves as well. But rather than like heating it up and all this stuff that the natives were doing, they just grinded it up really finely and put it in like this. It, they made a paste out of it and they would just eat the paste, right? And so what began to happen to these guys over time is they realized that there was something, something strange about Nardu. So here's what I found out. This plant is significant. It's, it's, there's very few like it, okay? So literally, it has this enzyme in it. And this enzyme, if it's not heated up, the heating up of the plant will break down this enzyme, but if it's not heated up, this enzyme will, it will attack nutrients, like vitamins that your body needs for survival. Uh, vitamin, some, anyways, never, yeah, some fancy vitamin that I said on the internet. Uh, and it will attack this, this, this vitamin, and it, literally this plant, it can cause you to starve to death as you fill up on it. Because it's attacking the nutrients that your body needs for survival. So as you are getting full, as you're getting satisfied, you're, you're literally starving to death on the inside. And, and these guys on this expedition, literally every single one of them but one died from starvation, despite the fact that they were full on this plant. And, and I want to read you one of the quotes from uh, one of the guys that ended up passing away on this expedition. This is so interesting to me. He says, starvation on Nardu is by no means unpleasant. Uh, He says, outside of the weakness that I feel and the utter inability to move myself, but as far as the appetite is concerned, it gives me the greatest satisfaction. In other words, this thing is literally killing him. But he says, as far as my appetite is concerned, I'm satisfied. I think some of us in this room, we're hindered by hungering for the things of God because our appetite is, is on things other than God. But when, our, when we fill up on things other than God, it has the same effect. Like, yeah, we might, we might fill up and feel satisfied in the moment, but the same thing that's satisfying us in the moment is killing us. When we hunger after the things of this world, when we hunger after things like sexual immorality, when we hunger after things like lying, any sin, it it might satisfy us for a moment, but it is killing us. I think there's this lie that we often believe that it's not sin if, like, I don't eventually get to the place that it leaves me empty, right? Like, I don't know if y'all heard that lie growing up in church, uh, you know, that, that sin makes you feel terrible. And I'm like, y'all aren't doing sin right. Like, I think I got it figured out. It feels pretty good, you know? And, and that is so, that is so, so wrong, right? Sin, it, it, is, it is satisfying. 
but it's satisfying all the way up until the grave. Jesus offers life beyond the grave. Jesus offers ultimate satisfaction past the grave, eternal life on the other side of the grave. And we we cannot fall victim to that lie. If you want to experience true satisfaction, y'all, look no further than Jesus. If you hunger after him, I'm telling you, you will be so blown away that he is all satisfying. That he will meet your needs so much more than than any any drug, any bottle, any person ever could. He he is the all-satisfying king. He's a well that never runs dry, no matter the circumstances. Read with me in verse 6. I'm gonna, I'll back up to this verse, and we're going to finish this psalm out. It says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who, de- who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The third thing that you will find if you will hunger after God with everything you have is that God is an ever-present help. God is an ever-present help. You might be wondering when you read this, because I was, why is David talking about, uh, let me just read it for us because it's, it's odd. Why is he talking about meditating on God, remembering God, praising him in, with joyful lips when he's laying in his bed? It says, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed. That's weird, Okay. Let's just not act all spiritual about it. That's a little odd. And so uh, the question is why, is, why does he write it like this? Well, think about, again, where he's at. He's in the middle of the wilderness, probably surrounded by predators. He's hearing all sorts of noises and things like that. Uh, there's, it's not like he's in, you know, a nice two-person backpacking tent. Like, they didn't have that back then, so he's probably, like, you know, using a log as a pillow. Not to mention the fact that his own son is probably sending out uh, people to find him and kill him. Like David is saying this because he's like, Lord, in the middle of the night, when I've got all these things trying to, to come after me, I've got all these, these things around me going on, you are with me. He, he says that he praises God when, when he's in that situation. Why? I, I think this is so cool. The, the very next words in verse 7. This is why David is able to, to rejoice in, in the middle of the night in the wilderness. He says this in verse 7. For you have been my help. For you have been my help. That word help there in the original language is actually oftentimes used to describe military aid. Military aid, like, like this army comes alongside of me and helps me accomplish something that I could not do on my own. David says, you have been my help. In other words, Lord, you can do for me what I cannot do for myself. Uh, he, and notice, he, he doesn't just say, you are my help. He says, you have been my help. In other words, there's a history there. There are some past experiences that David has been through that has resulted in present confidence now. Confidence not in himself, but in God. 
like in a situation where most people would be taking matters into their own hands, we find David saying, God, this is in your hands, and I would have it no other way. Because God is an ever-present help. And through hungering after God for years and years and years, David knows this. When you hunger for God, what you will naturally begin to see is that God comes through. And you might be like, why can you say that with such confidence? Like, How do you know that that in my life, that if I hunger after God, that he's going to come through? You don't know what circumstances I'm facing. I can say that with confidence because I know that's all that God does. That's all he does is come through. That's all he, he does is give victory and win. And yeah, it might not always look like what we think it should look like, but God has never, ever failed. He is always and always will be an ever-present help. So if you hunger after God, what will happen is over time, God will prove his faithfulness. As I was studying for this, man, I began to think about um, how David was, was writing this. He talks about, Lord, you have been my help. So I'm thinking, all right, well, what has he been through? What are those past experiences that provide him with this present confidence? And my mind immediately went back to, uh, the, I mean, we all know the story of, of David and Goliath, right? In 1 Samuel. So I, I flipped back to, to that, that passage in Scripture, 1 Samuel 16, 17, and I'm reading it. You know, I'm thinking like, man, I, I want to know how can this give, him, give David confidence to face what he's facing in Psalm 63? Well, I came across this, this awesome, interesting verse that I think helps, helps communicate this point so well. Let me read you this. This is from the account of David and Goliath. King Saul has basically just come up to David and said, Hey, David, I don't know what you think like you can accomplish as a little scrawny uh, shepherd boy who's never fought before, but like this is not a battle that you can win. The, the king has just told him that. And listen to what David says. 1 Samuel 17, And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. So, I think this is so cool. What we're seeing in, in Psalm 63 is David, in this moment where he is like faced with pressure on all sides, he is relying on a lifetime of God coming through. That's how he's able to say this. Like when he faced Goliath, what he did was he looked backwards. And he said, Lord, you've come through in this way. Why would you not come through now? So literally David's entire life, talk about hungering after God. He has learned that God is an ever-present help because he hungers after God so much. When, when David was a shepherd, apparently, according to scripture, at some point a bear came and tried to, to kill his sheep and kill him. And the Lord delivered him from that. You fast forward a little bit and apparently a lion came along. David needs to move or something because there's animals all over the place trying to come after him and his sheep. But that lion comes along and David goes, well, I've got confidence to face this lion because God just delivered me from the bear. So then you fast forward a little bit in David's life and Goliath is on the scene, right? And he's faced with, with, with this new challenge, but he looks back and he goes, well, God delivered me from the bear. God delivered me from the lion. Why would God not deliver me now? And then he defeats Goliath. You fast forward a little bit more. He's on the run from King Saul. Literally the king of Israel is trying to kill him. And what does he do? He looks back. 
He says, God delivered me from the bear. He delivered me from the lion. He delivered me from Goliath. Why would he not help me now? Fast forward a little bit later. David is in the wilderness, in the middle of the night. He looks back. He says, Lord, you have been my help. You have never let me down. You delivered me from the bear. You delivered me from a lion. You delivered me from a nine-foot-tall giant warrior. You delivered me from the king of Israel. Why would anything stop you from, from delivering me now? If you hunger after God, you will learn that God is an ever-present help that is strong enough to face whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Whatever circumstance. God is an ever-present help. I want to invite the band uh, to come back out. David goes on from there. He, He says, my soul clings to you. Because your right hand upholds me. Like, he's going, it's what you do. Like, this is who you are, Lord. Your right hand upholds me. This track record of God's faithfulness in David's life is what gives him the confidence to say, God will take care of me because he's made a history of doing so. Y'all, if you want to live in incredible confidence and faith. Hunger after God and then just look in the rearview mirror. Hunger after God and look back. And learn all the different times that He has been faithful in your life and it will give you so much confidence moving forward that He will be with you then. So, in this moment, David is saying, God, you can do for me what I can't do for myself. You, you can do for me what I can't do for myself. And that's really the gospel, isn't it? Like, like is, that not, is that not just straight up the gospel message that God did for us what we cannot do for ourselves? Like in our sin, in our brokenness, God delivered us. God God delivered us from a a life that was destined for eternity spent separated from him. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. I love this verse in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, like D-E-D dead, Nothing we can do. We have nothing to offer. We were dead because of our... Y'all figured out that that's not how you spelled dead, didn't you? Yeah. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. You know, that's the, that's the goodness of the gospel. That God did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And tonight, I, I don't know if, if you have ever experienced that. God doing for you what you could not do for yourself. But tonight, you have the opportunity to do so. Tonight, we're about to sing a song. If the band ever comes out here, I think they might be locked out if somebody wants to. Like, just come up and, oh, there they are, they're right there. Come on out. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, listen, tonight you have the opportunity to make that decision. We're about to worship together. Um, we're going to spend some time uh, worshiping God for who he is, that we want him to be at the center of everything we do. And if tonight you want to make the decision 
to hunger after God, to, to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life. I'm going to be standing right down here off to the side. I would love for you to come find me. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. Uh, but some of you have already made that decision. And for those of you that have already made that decision, I, I cannot help but think there, there are people in here who have made the decision to follow Jesus, but, but you lack hunger for God. And tonight, I wonder if during this song, you might not take some time between you and the Lord. And you might not say, Lord, for the first time in a long time, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to hunger after you with everything that I have. So in this space, uh, in Hogue, we kind of have a different opportunity than we do in the marketplace. Uh, in this space, we have an opportunity to have a lot of space down front. And so I want to invite uh, any of you who, man... I want to make that decision between me and God. Lord, I have not hungered after you in a while, and tonight I want to commit to doing so. I want to invite you to slip out of your seat and come down to the front during this song. And just spend some time there in that moment uh, telling God that you are seeking after him earnestly with everything that you have. So I'm going to pray for us, and I want you to respond tonight however the Lord leads you. Let me pray. God, we love you. And Lord, we want to see you move on these campuses in our lives. And God, we know that that happens if and only if we are hungry for you, hungry for your word. Uh, God, that we want to, to pursue you and seek you with everything that we have. I pray that we would do so tonight, God, that that would be said of each and every one of us in this room, that we are hungry for seeing you move. Lord, we love you. We praise you for who you are. You are so good. You are all we need. You are all satisfying. You are our ever-present help. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.